Maria Rosa Santos shook her daughter. Come on, Lucia, it's time to get ready for Mass. As her mother left the room, Lucia forced her way back into consciousness, tossed back the covers, and climbed out of bed. Although not yet nine years old, she was a big girl, rather on the plain side, with heavy features. But her lively personality and beautiful smile more than compensated for this. Now in the kitchen, she washed her face and dressed, and then, with her mother, left the house to cover the well-trodden tracks which led to nearby Fatima. Here in the parish church, they attended the shepherd's mass. When this was over, they hurried home. While Lucia changed from her Sunday best clothes into a peasant smock, Maria Rosa, not wishing to waken the other members of her family, quietly rekindled the fire and prepared her daughter's breakfast. This was eaten in silence. With the frugal meal over, Lucia kissed her mother, took the bag containing a packed lunch, went to the pen, and let out their sheep, and then set off for the day. Awaiting her by the village pond with their own sheep were her two cousins, Francisco Marto, who was almost eight years old, and his six-year-old sister, Jacinta. They made an attractive pair, slight but sturdy, with fair complexions and hair to match, and small, even features. Jacinta, quite unlike Lucia, was the prettiest of creatures, and the essence of daintiness. But she was the baby of the family, and this meant that she was spoiled to distraction. Everyone gave in to her. Now here she was at the Barriero Pond, having succeeded yet again in getting her own way. For only the previous evening her parents, Olympia and Manuel Marto, had given in to her cajoling and agreed to let her and Francisco go to the pastures with their cousin. "'Oh, you managed to get up, then?' Lucia greeted them. Francisco yawned sleepily. "'I can't see why she wants to go out with sheep. It's almost the middle of the night.' Jacinta took no notice and said, "'Where are we going?' "'The Sierra,' Lucia answered. "'That's where all my friends will be.' Jacinta pouted. Do we have to? I thought it would be just us three. Anyway, I want to go to the Cabecho. Not wishing to become involved in an argument this early in the day, Lucia agreed and led the way, very carefully guiding the sheep past the red, sandy, well-cultivated land until they came to an outcrop of rock known as Cabecho, and here they put their woolly charges to graze. The mist of this lovely May morning had now dispersed and the children were content for a while just looking at the panorama. As well as their own village immediately below, they could see among a profusion of dark green trees the whitewashed houses of scattered hamlets, while on the other side was a piece of grassland called Valinos, and beyond this, in the distance, the church spire of Fatima. Over to their left, as far as the eye could see, stretched the rough shrubland of the Sierra, the main grazing area of the district. After a while, Francisco took from his pocket the flute which he always carried, and began playing a tune. The girls needed no prompting. Running to a clearing, they joined hands and danced. Around and round they whirled, and so they would have continued, had not the sheep strayed. Not at all happy at this interruption, Jacinta decided something would have to be done about it, especially as the days went by and their games of hide-and-seek and forfeits were continually brought to an abrupt end. Then she hit on the idea of giving the animals titbits, thus encouraging them to stay close by. 
But even with this problem solved, there were not enough hours in the day for her antics. Something had to suffer. It was their prayers. It was customary to say the rosary each day, and this they did after eating their lunch. This took time, that is, until Jacinta's ingenuity paid off again. By saying the first two words of each prayer, the rosary was over within minutes. They had only just finished praying in this fashion one day in early 1916, when a strong wind which shook the olive trees startled them. Looking in this direction, they saw a bright light. It was moving, and when it stopped in front of them, there stood the radiant figure of a youth. He was smiling. Don't be afraid. I am the angel of peace. Pray with me. Then he prostrated himself on the ground. When the flabbergasted children had done the same, he continued, Repeat after me. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. I beg pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. He stood up and concluded, You must pray much. The hearts of Jesus and Mary are always attentive to you. Then he vanished. This incident was very much to the fore of the youngsters' minds, but by the height of summer the euphoria had lifted and the angel was forgotten. During these long, hot summer months the children brought their flocks home before midday and then took them out again in the cool of the evening, which meant that they had free afternoons. After a brief siesta they always went to the well at the bottom of the Santos garden where beneath the shady fruit trees they amused themselves. One afternoon they were playing a game called Dibstones when an argument broke out between the two girls. Jacinta, as usual, was trying to get her own way. A reproving voice from behind them brought this to a halt. What are you doing? The children turned. It was the angel. Pray, pray a great deal. The most holy hearts of Jesus and Mary have plans for you. Offer up sacrifices continually to the Almighty. Plucking up courage, Lucia asked, How are we to make sacrifices? In every way you can, offering them up as an act of reparation for the sins by which the Almighty is offended and for the conversion of sinners. By doing this, you will draw peace upon your country. I am its guardian angel, the angel of Portugal. Above all, accept and endure all the sufferings God will send you. With this message imparted, he disappeared. The two girls were transfixed to the spot, and then Francisco spoke. Well, what did he say then? Why, didn't you listen? exclaimed his astonished sister. Well, of course I did. I heard what Lucia said, but like last time I didn't hear the angel, even though I could see his lips moving. Oh, come on, tell me. The experience had taken a lot out of both girls, and Lucia said, 
I'm not able to speak now. I'll tell you tomorrow, or you can ask Jacinta. But the younger girl motioned her brother to be quiet. Over a period of days, Francisco was told the message, and Lucia explained its meaning as best she could. And so the summer passed. With the arrival of autumn, the shepherds were again able to spend all day out with their flocks. There was a nip in the air, but even so the weather was pleasing, and today the cousins made their way leisurely, scuffing leaves and kicking fallen acorns ahead of them as they walked. After passing a small olive grove, they went round the side of a hill, clambered over the rocks of the cabecho, and put the sheep to graze. Then, going over to a little cave, Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta said the rosary, prostrated themselves on the ground, and repeated the angel's prayer, until an unexpected flash of light made them look up. And there, standing on a rock, was the angel. In his hands was a chalice and into this drops of blood fell from a host above it. Leaving both suspended in mid-air, he stretched himself out on the ground beside the young shepherds. Then he spoke. Listen to this prayer carefully, and repeat it after me three times. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I offer you the most precious body and blood soul and divinity of Jesus Christ present in all the tabernacles of the earth in reparation for the outrages and indifferences with which he himself is offended. And through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and of the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg you the conversion of poor sinners. Then standing up, he took hold of the chalice and host, gave the host to Lucia, and the blood to Francisco and Jacinta, saying, Take and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ, horribly insulted by ungrateful men. Make reparation for their sins, and console your God. Prostrating himself on the ground once more, their visitor had them say the prayer to the Trinity again, and then he was gone. The children remained as they were for a while, and then they stood up, each expressing their great feeling of happiness, at the same time admitting to being physically exhausted. Then Francisco, who of the three least understood, said, I know the angel gave you communion, Lucia, but what about Jacinta and me? Before Lucia could answer, Jacinta said, We receive communion too. It's exactly the same. Surely you saw the blood drip from the host. The boy's eyes lit up. I felt Jesus inside me because I was so happy, but I didn't understand how. Now I know. After this day, to all outward appearances, the children behaved as normal. No one suspected that they spent long hours praying and discussing what the angel had said. Winter came and went, and the Sierra Dare was now at its most beautiful. April showers and a gentle warming sun 
had brought plants and trees magically to life. Everywhere was a blaze of colour, with flowers carpeting the earth and trees laden with blossom. Today, Sunday the 13th of May, 1917, Lucia, Francisco and Jacinta went slowly with their flocks across the Sierra, letting them graze on the way. It was about noon when they reached a large natural hollow called the Cova de Aria, a part of which belonged to Lucia's parents. Skirting the cultivated plots, they stopped on the ascent at the far end, and assuring themselves that all the sheep were grazing, they sat down and ate their own lunches. Afterwards, they said their prayers. When that was finished, Francisco said, I know, let's build a castle. You go and gather up some rocks, and I'll clear a piece of ground. They were so engrossed in their project that a sudden flash of light made them jump. Lucia's experienced eyes scanned the cloudless sky. It didn't look stormy, but then lightning meant only one thing. Come on, she scrambled to her feet. I think we're in for bad weather. Let's go home. The other two wasted no time, and the sheep were quickly gathered together and chased down the slope. Another flash of light hastened them more, but something else unexpected happened which stopped the girls in their tracks. Their mouths dropped open, for there, above a small home oak tree, with her feet touching the top branches, was a lady, ringed in a brilliant light, which also enveloped Lucia and Jacinta. The lady spoke. Don't be afraid. I won't hurt you. Lucia managed to find her voice. Who are you? Where do you come from? I am from heaven. What do you want of us? I came to ask you to come here for six months in succession at the same hour. Then I will tell you who I am and what I want. Afterwards, I shall come a seventh time. Shall I go to heaven? There was no fear in Lucia's voice. Yes, you will. And Jacinta? Yes, she will go also. And Francisco? Yes, but first he must say many rosaries. Hearing his name mentioned, Francisco retraced his footsteps and looked at the girls in amazement. Whatever are you doing talking to a tree? Shh! Can't you see the lady? What lady? I can't see anything. Here, here, throw a stone and see if it's real. Lucia was horrified. Don't say such things. Then to the lady, Francisco can't see you. Tell him to say a rosary. Then he will. Lucia passed on the message, and before he had said many Hail Marys, he saw her. Jacinta tugged at Lucia's arm. Do you think the lady's hungry? Ask her if she wants some bread and cheese. Before her cousin could do so, Francisco whispered, What about the sheep? They've wandered off. They'll eat the peas. No, they won't. Don't worry. The lady said they'll be all right. Now very much at ease, Lucia remembered her two friends who had died recently. Is Maria das Neves in heaven? Yes, she is. And Amelia? She will be in purgatory until the end of the world. Then the lady continued. Do you wish to offer yourselves to God, to endure all the sufferings he may send you as an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended, and to ask for the conversion of sinners? Yes, we do, Lucia answered for all three. Then 
you will have much to suffer, but God will comfort you. As she spoke these words, her hands opened for the first time, and from the palms came two streams of light so intense that they penetrated the very being of the children, causing them to instinctively pray, O most holy trinity, I adore you. My God, I love you. A few moments later, the lady added, Say the rosary every day to obtain peace for the world and an end to the war. Almost at once, she began to rise from the home oak, going serenely towards the east. The great light which surrounded her went on ahead, as if carving out a passage through the skies. They stared until there was nothing more to see, and then all was quiet. Francisco made the first move and ran off to see what mischief the sheep had been up to. Hey! he called from the vegetable patch. Not one pea's been nibbled! I told you so, Lucia shouted back. The ladies said they'd be all right. How was I to know, retorted Francisco. I didn't hear her speak. It was a mystified little boy who, with his staff, prodded the woolly animals back up the slope. Then, sitting down on the ground, the three children talked about the strange happening, and Lucia explained to Francisco how he had got to say many rosaries. Time passed, and they made tracks for home, quiet and thoughtful. Only Jacinta broke the silence by periodically exclaiming, "'Oh, what a beautiful lady!' Eventually, Lucia warned, We'd better not tell anyone or we'll get into trouble. Francisco nodded. Jacinta said nothing. Did you hear me, Jacinta? Oh, what a beautiful lady. Jacinta, you must keep this a secret. Oh, all right, Jacinta said automatically. I just know you'll end up by telling someone, said Lucia. Promise you won't say a word, not even to your mother. Coming back to the present... The little girl replied, Well, of course I won't tell anyone. I promise. But she was so overwhelmed by the lady that she could not keep this promise. And while Lucia and Francisco told no one, Jacinta, the minute she set eyes on her mother, cried out, Mama, Mama, I saw Our Lady in the cover today. My, my, said the woman, What a very good little girl you must be to see Our Lady. But, Mama, I did see her. I did. And so did Lucia and Francisco. Seeing the disbelief on her mother's face, she sought out her father in the barn. I saw Our Lady today, Papa, and so did... Since when don't you give your father a kiss when you haven't seen him all day? He leaned towards her, and she kissed his face. Then, taking her hand, they went together to the house. Jacinta persisted with her story, and knowing that she did not tell lies, Signora Mato gave the matter an airing at supper that evening. Now, Jacinta, tell us what really happened in the cova today. She needed no coaxing. I saw a beautiful lady. She wore a long white dress and a cloak. There was a, a golden cord round her neck and some stars on her dress, too. The child stopped, joined her hands together as if to pray, and continued. She stood like this and held a shiny white rosary. 
Our Lady only spoke to Lucia, but she said we'd all go to heaven and lots of other things I didn't understand, but Lucia did. After that, she floated away and the doors opened in the sky and she went right into heaven. Oh, what a beautiful lady! There was silence for a while until her brother John began to giggle. This upset Jacinta, and she lowered her head, only to raise it again when Francisco re-echoed her story, adding, The lady told Lucia she would come every month for six months, and we've got to be there. A pensive Manuel Mato fingered his moustache. Then, leaning forward in his chair, he said, Well, who knows? It's possible. Not that many years ago Our Lady appeared to Bernadette at Lourdes, and before that to three other shepherds. She may well have come to the cover, but I think that we should be quiet and leave everything in God's hands. The first thing Francisco did the next morning was to inform Lucia of his sister's wagging tongue. I knew you'd tell, I just knew you would, Lucia reproached the culprit. It happened just as I thought. Jacinta burst into tears. Oh, I couldn't help it. There was something inside me that stopped me from being quiet. Oh, all right. Stop crying. But don't tell anyone what the lady told us. But I already did. Oh, no. What did you say? I said that the lady promised to take us to heaven. Oh, forgive me, please forgive me. I, I won't ever tell anyone again. As soon as they reached the pastures, Jacinta sat on a rock quiet and pensive. "'Come on, Jacinta. Aren't you going to play?' her cousin called. "'No, I don't want to play today.' "'Why ever not?' "'Because I'm thinking how that lady told us to say the rosary and make sacrifices for sinners. We'll have to say the Our Father and Hail Mary properly now.' It was Lucia's turn to be quiet on the way home. She felt worried that the news might reach her mother's ears, which indeed it had, and for this the girl received the biggest telling off of her young life. Much to the chagrin of Maria Rosa and other members of the Santos household, the affair did not end there. Tongues started to wag, and both parents and children met with ridicule. But what concerned her most of all was this talk of them going back to the cova again. She felt somewhat reassured when her sister-in-law said, "'Oh, you don't really think those rascals will go to the cover, do you? "'Especially as June the 13th is St. Anthony's feast day. "'Had you forgotten? "'I can't imagine them missing all the fun. "'And all that extra food. "'Oh, you know how much Lucia and Jacinta love dancing.' "'But this is exactly what they did do. "'At about eleven o'clock on June the 13th, Accompanied by a few friends and some men and women who had also decided to forego the feast, Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta went to the Cova da Iria. As the sun neared its zenith, Lucia said, It's almost time now. We must say the rosary. This everyone did, and hardly had they finished when the first flash came, followed by a slowly approaching light. Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta saw the lady immediately, just as she was in May, above the home oak. Lucia spoke. Senora, what do you want of me? I want you to come here on the thirteenth day of the coming month, and to recite the rosary every day, and add after each decade, O oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, 
lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need. I want you to learn to read. Later I will tell you what else I want. Lucia then asked for a favor that a sick person she knew might be cured. If he is converted, he will be cured during the year, replied the lady. I should like you to take us to heaven, Lucia then said. Yes, Jacinta and Francisco I will take soon, but you must remain here some time longer. Jesus wishes to make use of your services to make me known and loved. He wishes to have devotion to my immaculate heart established in the world. Have I got to stay here by myself? Lucia felt sad at the thought of her two cousins going without her. No, daughter. Do you suffer a great deal? Don't be discouraged. I'll never forsake you. My immaculate heart will be your refuge and the road that will lead you to God. With these words, the lady opened her hands. An intense light permeated them. In them, they could see themselves. Jacinta and Francisco were in the rays ascending to heaven, while Lucia was in those spreading over the earth. Before the palm of the lady's right hand was a heart encircled by thorns. This the children understood to be Mary's immaculate heart injured by sins. The vision ended, and Lucia cried out, It's all over. Look, there she goes. Eyes turned in the direction of a small white cloud which floated away until out of sight. That's it, said Lucia. She's gone into heaven. The doors have closed up. Though none but the three little shepherds had seen the lady, the home oak's top branches were slightly bent, as if someone had been standing on them, and this caused the group of people to surge forward. Excitedly they picked leaves and twigs for souvenirs. They stopped at Lucia's request and all returned to Fatima. As before, Francisco did not hear the lady speak, and he couldn't work out what the rays of light represented. And so, when they were by themselves, Lucia told him everything, explaining that he and Jacinta would soon go to heaven while she was to remain on earth for some time. At their home some time later, the two youngest were bombarded with questions. Francisco said nothing, and Jacinta spoke only of the beauty of her lady, and so the family left them in peace. At Lucia's home it was different. Her mother was so angry because her daughter had gone to the cova that she gave her a good hiding and shouted at her, If you don't put those people right by confessing you lied, I'll lock you up in a room where you won't even see the sunlight. The frightened girl got into bed that night and hid beneath the blankets. She just could not understand her family's attitude. They used to show her so much love and affection. One morning, some days after this, Lucia woke screaming. The nightmare had been so vivid that she could recall every detail. The devil had been laughing at having deceived her and tried to drive her into hell. Seeing herself in his claws, she called for Our Lady to help, 
but it was her mother who came hurrying to find out the trouble. Her daughter's vague answer satisfied the woman, and she went back to bed. This was the culmination of days of doubt and torment following an interview with their parish priest, Father Ferreira, who had summoned Senora Santos and her daughter to his presbytery. Usually, he said, when such things happen, our Lord tells these people to go and tell their spiritual directors everything, even sends messages. But you, you hide as much as you can. Say the rosary. That's all I can get out of you. We do that anyway. Now you look here. You'll be very careful. It's quite possible that this is a trick of the devil. Anyway, go now. The future will tell us. These words made such an impression on Lucia's mind, and with the unending mockery and malice from family and villagers alike, her depression deepened. So much so that she doubted the apparitions, lost all inclination for making sacrifices, and was even on the point of confessing that she had lied when her cousins intervened. "'You mustn't say you lied, because that would be a lie, and to lie is sinful,' said Francisco. "'Oh, Lucia, it's not the devil,' Jacinda insisted. "'He's so ugly and lives under the ground in hell. That lady is so beautiful, and we saw her go into heaven.' Nevertheless, Lucia's doubts persisted, and on the eve of July the 13th she told the two quite firmly that she would not be going to the cover in case it was the devil. In the morning her opinion had not changed, but as the hour drew nearer she suddenly felt compelled to go, and without explanation she collected her cousins from their home at the other end of the village, and they went as quickly as they could to the cover. Already there were many people waiting there, and as the sun blazed down unrelentingly, most held raised umbrellas as a protection. Then came the flash of light, and Lucia cried out, She's coming! Quickly! Close the umbrellas! The sun lost its glare, and there was a gentle, cooling breeze. Apart from a soft buzzing above the home oak, all was silent. Then Lucia spoke. Senora, what do you want of me? I want you to come here on the thirteenth day of next month, and to keep saying the rosary every day in honour of Our Lady of the Rosary, and to obtain peace for the world and the end of the war, for she alone can help. Remembering her mother's hostility and the parish priest's words, Lucia pleaded, Please, will you tell us who you are and perform a miracle so that everyone will believe you appeared to us? Continue to come here every month. In October I will tell you who I am and what I wish, and I will perform a miracle so that people may believe. It is necessary to pray the rosary, to obtain graces during the year, and sacrifice yourself for sinners, and say many times, especially when you make a sacrifice, Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation for sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. When the lady spoke these words, she opened her hands as she had on the previous two occasions. The radiance seemed to penetrate the ground, and the children saw a giant sea of fire. Plunged in it were demons and human beings looking as if they were red-hot coals, transparent and black or bronze-colored. 
They floated about without weight or equilibrium, shrieking and groaning in despair. The devils were distinguishable in the horrible, loathsome forms of unknown animals. children were horrified and raised their eyes appealingly to the lady. With tenderness and sadness she said, You saw hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wants to establish in the world devotion to my immaculate heart. If people only do as I ask, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. This war is going to end. But if people do not stop offending God, an even worse war will break out in the reign of Pius XI. When you see an unknown illumination in the night sky, know that this is the great sign God gives you that he is going to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, hunger, and persecutions of the Church and of the Holy Father. To prevent this, I will come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. If they listen to my requests, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will scatter her errors throughout the world, provoking wars and persecutions of the Church. The good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, and various nations will be annihilated. In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and it will be converted, and a certain period of peace granted to the world. In Portugal, the faith will always be kept. Tell no one. Francisco? Yes, you may tell him. When you say the rosary, remember to add after each mystery, O oh my Jesus, Forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need. Do you want anything else of me? Lucia asked. No, today I desire nothing more. The visitation ended, and as usual, the lady began to rise towards the east. Since the first apparition, the youngsters had lost all interest in games and dancing, particularly Jacinta. I don't want to play. That lady told us to make sacrifices. How are we to do that? Francisco suggested going without lunch, and this they agreed to do, and every day they gave away their packed meals to some beggar children. The three young shepherds became extremely hungry by mid-afternoon and resorted to eating flowers and pine roots. Little Jacinta, not sure if this was a real sacrifice, ate bitter acorns and unripe olives. Oh, don't eat those, Lucia told her. They're too bitter. Oh, it's because they are that I eat them, so as to convert sinners. 
With the advent of the hot weather, Lucia, Francisca, and Jacinta went home again for lunch and siesta. One afternoon, while in the Santos garden, Jacinta remained sitting beside the well while the other two went off to look for wild honey. When they came back, she asked, "Did you see the Holy Father?" "No," they replied in unison. "I don't know how it happened, but I saw the Holy Father in a big house. He was kneeling by a table with his hands over his face, and he was crying. And outside the house, there were a lot of people. Some of them were throwing stones at him. Others were cursing and saying ugly words." Another time she said, "Can't you see all those highways and roads and fields full of people weeping, and they are starving for want of food? And there was the Holy Father in a church praying before the Immaculate Heart of Mary. There were a lot of people praying with him. Oh, poor Holy Father, we must pray very much for him." This they proceeded to do, but it was the vision of hell and all the lost souls that worried them the most. And so they began to seek even more sacrifices. One they chose was to not drink water while out in the pastures. This eventually took its toll, particularly on Jacinta. Covering her ears one day, she cried out, "Oh, please tell the crickets and frogs to be quiet! I have a dreadful headache." "Don't you want to offer it up for sinners?" Francisco asked her. Lowering her hands, the little mite whispered, "Yes, yes, I do. Oh, let them sing." Oh, Lucia, why doesn't Our Lady show hell to sinners? If they saw it, they wouldn't sin any more. July passed, and on August the eleventh, the three children were summoned to appear with their fathers before a special meeting with His Excellency, the Administrator of Villanova di Urum, Arthur Oliveira Santos. While Lucia and her father attended. Manuel Marto flatly refused to take Francisco and Jacinta, although he himself went along. During this meeting, Lucia was subjected to a long and painful interrogation. But the only thing the administrator got out of her was that the lady had told them to say the rosary every day. What the lady had said, tell no one. She would not divulge. Two days later, on the thirteenth of August. Lucia was in her own home, surrounded on all sides by some of the pilgrims who had converged on Aljustral. They fired questions at her and begged for petitions to be put before the lady. All this stopped when she was ordered to go at once with her father to the Mato House. Awaiting them was Arthur Oliveira Santos. Lucia flinched on seeing her interrogator so soon again, but bravely she stood beside Francisco and Jacinta. Were with him. Ah,、oh, he smiled. Now I have the three of you together. You can tell me what happened at the Cova da Iria. They told him. Yes, yes, I know. You say you saw a lady, but there's some talk about other things. Some secret. What is it? The cousins looked at the floor. Oh, come now. Surely you can tell me. I won't tell anyone. All was still, and the smile left his face. You've got to tell me this secret and promise not to go to the cobra again. Receiving no reply, he was unable to control himself any longer, and jumping to his feet, he called their fathers. I am sick of these brats of yours. They refuse to answer me. Let's see if they'll talk to the padre. Go on off with you to the presbytery, and you needn't think you're going to get out of it. I'm coming too. The unexpected party surprised the parish priest, but at the administrator's instigation, he carried out a cross-examination. 
Time passed, and Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta, fearing that they would be late for their appointment, became increasingly more agitated. For they knew that the road would be overflowing with pilgrims, which would delay their journey even more. The administrator, who had been standing by listening, suddenly stopped the priest's questioning. With a change of attitude, he turned to the children and said, Come, I'll take you to the cove myself, so you won't be late after all. My carriage is waiting by the Presbytery steps. The little ones shook their heads and moved away from him, but Lucia's father insisted, and so all three went to the carriage, where they were driven at great speed across the church square towards the Cova d'Iria. Suddenly, the man cracked his whip, changed direction, and made for Orem. This isn't the way, Senor, Lucia cried out. You've taken the wrong road. Senor, Senor, Francisco tugged at their captor's sleeve. Be quiet, all of you and taking one hand from the reins, he tossed over a blanket. Here, cover yourselves with this. Heads as well. I don't want people to see you. On arrival at Urum, Arturo Oliveira Santos went directly to his house and locked them in a room where they remained except for periodic questioning. His kindly wife supplied them with food. Night passed, and the interrogation began again. But by mid-morning, the administrator was no further advanced and so he had them transferred to the courthouse, where an elderly lady tried to win their confidence to extract the secret. When this failed, they were bribed with money, then threatened with death. The woman learned nothing, and the administrator took over again. Putting on a false smile, he said, Now come along, you kept this up long enough. Tell me the secret, and let's be done with it. No, we can't, Lucia answered. The lady told us not to tell anyone. Tell me, then I promise to let you play with my own children out in the sunshine. The children stood looking at the pattern the sun made on the floor, but said nothing. Tell me your secret, or I'll have you killed in a horrible way. This was met with silence. Tell me, or I'll throw you in jail. True to his word, he did just that, but not before one more final attempt. The children answered his questions politely, but they would not disclose the secret. That's it. I've tried to be kind to you, to make you see sense, but you won't. So now to jail with you. I'm going to have you boiled in oil. They were led from his office across the main hall. A heavy wooden door was unlocked, and they were pushed into a cell. It was quite large, with rough walls and a stone floor, and two heavily barred windows looked out onto the street. The only furniture consisted of a few bunk beds, wooden benches, and in a corner, overflowing buckets. The stench was nauseating. Stale sweat, unwashed bodies and unemptied buckets coupled with overcrowding and the heat of the day. As the door closed behind them, Jacinta began crying. I want my mamma. Oh, why don't our parents come? We're going to die without seeing them. The tears streamed down her face. Lucia and Francisco, who had had the same thoughts, sadly shook their heads.
thieves, murderers, drunkards, some staring vacantly, stayed put on benches or huddled on the filth of the floor. Others surged forward to peer curiously at the new intake. Well, 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 what are we here? Babes in arms? They're starting very early these days. What are you doing here? A tough-looking character who seemed to be the leader asked roughly. Oh, senor, Lucia cried out, we're going to be killed because we won't tell the secret. Secret? What secret? The lady who visits us said we must tell no one. Oh, a voice came from behind. These must be the seers of Fatima we've heard so much about. At the mention of Fatima, Jacinta's tears began to flow again, and she said, I don't mind dying, because Our Lady will come for me, but I want to see Mamma first. Why don't you tell that pig what he wants to know and get out of here? Oh, no, Senor, said Lucia. We'd rather die. The children were so distressed that one of the men began playing a small concertina, and others sang. Trying still further to cheer them up, three men took a child each and danced. Jacinta was so tiny, she had to be carried in the arms of her partner. Suddenly, she remembered the lady. Please, please put me down, senor. I don't want to dance. The man did as she asked, and standing once more, Jacinta took from around her neck a medal, and had the man hang it from a nail on the wall. Then she knelt down. Lucia and Francisco also left their partners and joined her, where, oblivious to all, they said the rosary. On and on they chanted, until gradually voices lowered, and the music became softer until it stopped altogether. Heads turned towards the kneeling figures. Some of the prisoners felt highly embarrassed and looked away again. But into many others came an awareness. Knees unaccustomed to kneeling creaked as they met the stone floor. Lips which knew nothing but blasphemy stumbled over long-forgotten prayers, and the murmur grew until almost all were praying. Later that afternoon, the heavy door swung open, and in came the guard. It's time now. The oil is ready for you. We've had it boiling now for over an hour. He grabbed Jacinta by the arm and led her from the cell, and though the little girl was convinced that death awaited her, she did not murmur. Looking at his cousin, Francisco smiled and said, Oh, Lucia, they're going to kill us now. That means we'll be in heaven sooner than we thought. Won't that be wonderful? We're so lucky. Meanwhile, his sister was being questioned by the administrator, but she would not answer him, so he ordered the guard to take her away. Francisco was next, but he too refused to save his skin by telling the secret. Lucia's turn came, and as she left the cell, there was hardly a dry eye among those prisoners who remained. She was taken to the office, and there she related the account of the visions— but Artur Oliveira Santos paid no attention. He wanted to know only one thing, the secret. But Lucia would not tell him. And so once again, in the hands of the guard, she was marched off. Just along the corridor, he flung open a door and pushed her into a room. And there she found Francisco and Jacinta very much alive. Finally, their persecutor was forced to admit defeat and fearing reprisals if he kept the children any longer, he drove them back on August the 15th to the presbytery from where he had abducted them. Life returned to normal, and the young shepherds resumed their duties. 
On Sunday the 19th of August, Lucia, Francisco and Jacinta went to the little village of Moita and had lunch with friends. After this, they returned home to take out the flocks. Olympia Mato, deciding to keep Jacinta in, sent John out with Lucia and Francisco. As the time was getting on, they decided to go to nearby Velinos. Quite unexpectedly, the light dimmed and the air became cooler. Do you feel anything, Francisco? Yes, I do. Perhaps the lady is coming today as we weren't at the cove on the 13th. Oh, dear, what about Jacinta? It'll be a pity if she's not here. John, Lucia turned to her cousin, please will you go and get Jacinta? She'll be so sad if she misses her lady. No, I'm not going. I want to see her too. Oh, please, Francisco pleaded with his brother. Look, if you're run, you'll both be back in time. Still he refused. There was a flash of light, and Lucia became anxious, and pushing two coins into his hand, said, Here, take these. There'll be two more when you get back. John needed no more persuading, and in a short space of time he returned with his sister. Hardly had they all knelt down when the lady showed herself, as always, above a small tree. What do you want of me, Signora? Lucia asked. I want you to continue going to the Cova d'Iria on the thirteenth day of the month, and to keep saying the rosary every day. Then Lucia told her how so many people disbelieved, and asked the lady for a miracle, so that everyone would know that they told the truth. In October I shall perform a miracle, so that all may believe. What do you want done with the money the people leave at the cova? Lucia then asked. Tell them to make two of those portable stands that are used to carry statues in procession. You hold one with Jacinta and two other girls. You must all be dressed in white. Francisco is to carry the other one with three boys. They too must wear white. Any more money given is to be used for Our Lady of the Rosary's feast day, and what money remains is to go towards the chapel which is going to be built. Lucia then told the lady all about the intentions she'd been asked, especially the sick. Yes, I will cure some within the year, was the answer. And then the lady said very sadly, Pray, pray a great deal, and make many sacrifices for sinners. So many souls go to hell because they have no one to pray for them. With these, her final words on this day, she began to rise, going away very slowly. Leaving the other three with the sheep, Jacinta made her way back home, stopping off at her aunt's to break the news. Maria Rosa's feelings were unchanged. Oh, you wretches, you're up to your tricks again. I would have thought the administrator would have knocked all that nonsense out of your heads. But, aunt, that lady did come to see us just now. Jacinta held out a leafy branch. Look, I picked this from the tree she stood on. Taking it from the child, Maria Rosa examined it and sniffed. She frowned and then sniffed again. 
This is a very unusual perfume. What is it? Then handing the branch to the others who were in the room, she said, What do you make of it? It's only a piece of home oak, yet the smell is beautiful. They were all amazed at the sweet fragrance, but no one could put a name to it. Retrieving her treasured possession, Jacinta left her aunt's house and hurried home to show her father. He was late in coming in, however, and although the perfume had faded, he never doubted that the lady had once more appeared. During the weeks which followed, other people with anti-Catholic sympathies joined Arthur Oliveira Santos in his attempts to discredit the Fatima apparitions. Abusive articles were printed, and leaflets decrying them as some Jesuitical hoax were distributed, and meetings inciting the public to action were arranged. But far from having an adverse effect, the hostile publicity had in fact been the means of spreading news of the apparitions throughout Portugal, and on September the 13th, 30,000 pilgrims swarmed into Fatima. The path leading from Aljostral to the Cova was crowded as the two girls, wearing blue dresses and white veils, set out with Francisco, and had it not been for some stalwart bystanders clearing a passageway, it is doubtful if they would ever have reached their destination. An area near the Holmoke had been cleared, and the children knelt and Lucia began praying. With the familiar flash came cries of joy from those looking on, and many sprang to their feet and pointed towards a brilliant globe of light above them. As usual, the sun dimmed, and the air became cooler. Lucia spoke. What do you want of me? Continue to say the rosary to bring about the end of the war. In October, our Lord will come also, and Our Lady of Sorrows, and Our Lady of Mount Carmel. St. Joseph and the child Jesus will bless the world. God is very pleased with your sacrifices. They have begged me to ask you many things, said Lucia. The cure of some sick persons, a deaf-mute. Yes, some I will cure, others not. The people would like a chapel built here. Use half the money that has been donated for the Lady of the Rosary feast day celebrations. The other half you can use to build a chapel. So many say I am a liar and they want to kill me. In October I shall perform a miracle so that all may believe. It was over. Slowly the Lady ascended. On this day, standing some distance away, was a certain Father Manuel Nunes Formigueo, a professor of theology at Santarem Seminary. Having a great devotion to Our Lady of Lourdes, he was incredulous on hearing of these alleged apparitions, and had come along to see for himself. Feeling that there was nothing unusual in the dimming light and cooler air, he went away disbelieving, though determined to find out more. And so, two weeks later, 
he returned to Aljustral and questioned the children. Francisco was first. Well, lad, what did you see at the cover? I saw Our Lady, Francisco replied. Whereabouts? On top of the home oak tree. Does she appear suddenly, or does she come from somewhere? I saw her come from where the sun is, and she stops over the home oak. Does she come slow or fast? Oh, she always comes fast. Do you hear what she says to Lucia? No, nothing at all. Have you ever spoken to the lady, or does she speak to you? No, I've never asked her anything, and she only speaks to Lucia. Does she smile? Oh, no, she's always serious. What does she wear? Um, well, she wears a, a long dress with a cloak over her head. What colour are her clothes? They're white, and there's some gold in them. Now then, what posture does she take? I, I mean, how does she stand? Like someone praying. Has she anything in her hands? Yes, a rosary. It's all white, and she holds it between the palm and back of her hands. Has she anything in her ears? Oh, I don't know. Her ears are covered by the cloak. Is the lady nice to look at? Oh, yes, she is. She's very pretty. Prettier than that girl? The priest pointed out of the window to a girl dressed in white. Oh, yes, she's much prettier than anyone I've ever seen. Jacinta was also questioned by Father Formiguer, and her answers were much the same as those her brother had given. Lucia, although exhausted from continual questioning, then came in and stood before the priest. Lucia, he began, is it right that Our Lady appeared to you at the Cova da Iria? Yes, it is. And how many times has she appeared? Five. On what day? On the 13th, except when we were kidnapped and taken to Urum, then she came to Velinos. Is it correct that you said Our Lady appeared to you last year? Oh, no, Senor Padre. She didn't come last year or before May this year. Which direction does she come from? Is it the east? Oh, I don't know. She stands above the home oak, and then she goes away towards where the sun rises. How long does she stay with you? Oh, not very long. Long enough to say an Our Father and Hail Mary? Oh, longer than that, Senor Padre, although sometimes she stays longer than others. Were you frightened the first time you saw her? I was frightened, but not of her, only at the thunderstorm I thought we were going to have. What clothes does she have on? A white dress and a cloak which goes over her head. Both of them nearly come down to her feet. Has the dress any decoration? Yes. Two golden cords hang from her neck, and they join together in a little golden ball. Is there anything round the waist? No. Does she wear earrings? Um, yes, uh, little gold ones. But the light is very bright just there where her cloak is, so I could be mistaken. She has a rosary. Which hand is it in? The right one. Uh, is it five or fifteen decades? I don't know. Is there a cross on it? Yes, there is a, a white cross. The beads and chain are white as well. Um, how about her name? Have you asked her? 
Yes, and she's going to tell us in October. Where does she come from? Did you ask her that? I did, on June the 13th. She said, from heaven. Is she smiling when you see her, or has she a sad face? Oh, she's not either. She's always serious. Have you and your cousins been told to pray? Yes, we have. We must say the rosary to obtain peace for the world. Did she say people must go to the cova? No, she didn't mention it. Now, this secret. Are you sure you're forbidden to tell anyone? I'm quite sure. Is it only to do with you or all three of you? The three of us, Senor Padre. Surely you can tell your confessor? The girl remained silent, and the priest left the matter alone. Is it right that the lady told you to learn to read? Yes, she told me that when she appeared the second time. But I understood that she's going to take you to heaven soon. In that case, it's not worth it. I've never told anyone she's going to take me to heaven soon, so it's untrue. How about the money people leave at the home oak? It's to be used for bringing devotion to Our Lady of the Rosary. The rest is for a chapel. Where is this chapel to be? I don't know. She never said. Are you pleased that Our Lady appeared to you? Oh, yes, I am, Senor Padre. Is Our Lady coming to see you on the 13th again? Yes, so is St. Joseph and the infant Jesus. They're going to bless the world, and soon there'll be peace. What else did she say? She said that in October she'll perform a miracle so that people will believe she appeared to us. Were you taught any prayers? Yes, she told us to say at the end of each rosary decade, O oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need. At the end of this, the first interview, Father Formigueo thought the children had very good imaginations. After meeting them several times more, he began to change his mind. They were so at ease in his company, and their eyes showed the deep calm of interior peace. But what impressed him most of all was that the phraseology they used in imparting Our Lady's messages was that normally used by priests and theologians alike. October the 13th arrived, and on this morning Maria Rosa was awakened by a group of pilgrims passing the house singing. Jumping out of bed and throwing a shawl round her shoulders, she ran from the room and to her daughters, quite terror-stricken. She felt sure that today would be her last. Lucia, Lucia, wake up quickly. We must go to confession. I'm worried sick. You and your miracle, they'll kill us for sure. Already wide awake, the girl answered, If you want to go to confession, Mamma, I'll come with you by all means. But I have no doubts at all. I know the lady will keep her promise. There will be a great miracle today. Although her mother's spirits remained low, she was somewhat reassured by her daughter's confidence, and decided not to go to confession after all, and began her duties about the house. Nevertheless, the rain which had been falling in torrents all night long showed no signs of abating, and the heavy, dark clouds which seemed to presage doom all added to Senora Santos' depression.
With unending interruptions by well-wishers, the morning passed quickly, and Lucia, wearing the same outfit as the previous month, left the house accompanied for the first time by her father and mother. They called for the martos, and then both families battled through the crowds to the cova. Here there was no delay, the children knelt, and Lucia called out, Put down your umbrellas, we must say the rosary. Unmindful of the pouring rain, they obeyed her. Shortly afterwards came the familiar flash of light. The lady was present. "'What do you want of me?' asked Lucia. "'I want you to tell them to build a chapel here in my honour. I am the Lady of the Rosary. Let them continue to say the rosary every day. The war is going to end with the soldiers returning soon to their homes.' I have many favours to ask you, Lucia then said, the cure of sick persons, the conversion of some sinners, and other things. Some, yes, others, no. It is necessary that they amend their lives and ask pardon for their sins. Let them offend our Lord no more, for he is already much offended. Then, opening her hands, she let the light emerging from them shine upwards towards the sun. Slowly she rose in its direction. Look at the sun, Lucia cried out. There the three children saw a vision of St. Joseph holding the child Jesus, and Our Lady dressed in white with a blue cloak. St. Joseph and the child Jesus blessed the world by making the sign of the cross. After this vision came another, our Lord, now as a man, appeared, accompanied by His mother as Our Lady of Sorrows. This vision vanished to be replaced by one of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Though none but the children saw these revelations, everyone stared at the sun, which like a great colossus had wrenched apart the rain-laden clouds. Without warning, its clear-cut disk, radiant as lustrous pearl, began to rotate. Whirling at ever-increasing speed, explosions of different colours span off its circumference until it resembled a giant Catherine wheel, its hues reflecting dramatically on the earth below. When the light turned a jaundiced yellow, the sun, with great ferocity, shook itself off its axis, gyrating madly in a zigzag pattern, until, decreasing in momentum, it hovered tantalizingly before plunging towards the earth, increasing dramatically in size until the giant, explosive fireball obliterated all else. Overcome with terror, people flung themselves down, begging God's mercy and forgiveness, quite convinced that the world was ending. Others said the creed or Hail Mary. When it seemed that the planets would collide in one horrendous fiery cataclysm, the sun, as if drawn by some invisible magnet, was restored to its place in the firmament. People gasped at the prodigious spectacle of God's might. Men bared their heads in awe. Others lay on the ground which only seconds before had been flooded. Now, like their clothing, it was bone dry. The marvel ended, and everyone was alive. Laughter mingled with tears as they endeavoured to get near the three children. What did Our Lady say? What did she say? 
Lucia, in the protective arms of a man, gesticulated wildly, but with so many people clamouring and shouting, her words were lost. Back at the Marto household, where all three were taken, it was no different. Questions were fired at them from all angles, and the children were observed like some strange animals that the crowd had come to watch, clambering on furniture and standing on beds as they did so, much to the consternation of Olympia Marto. Then Father Formigueo, who had witnessed the miracle, came once more to talk to them. Eventually Lucia was taken home, but uninvited visitors followed in her wake and queued up to question her, until the child, completely exhausted, sank to the floor and fell fast asleep. A week or so after this, the parish priest, Father Ferreira, called at the Santos home. Is Lucia back from school yet? he asked Maria Rosa. Not yet, Senor Padre, although she should be here any moment. Refusing the offered glass of wine, the priest sat down on a kitchen chair. Oh, this business is getting me down. As if I hadn't got enough work to do in this scattered parish without these so-called apparitions on my doorstep. And as if that isn't enough, I have to obey the Cardinal Patriarch and investigate them. But let me tell you, Senora, I find it very distasteful. Maria Rosa nodded in sympathy. Do you think the Church will ever approve them? Oh, goodness knows. Depends on the findings. Once I told myself, the woman mused, that if one other person saw Our Lady, I'd believe. Now lots of people say they saw her in that globe of light. Then there's this business about the sun. Well, I saw it with my own eyes, yet still I'm torn apart. One day I believe, the next day I don't. And that's how it'll always be, I suppose. Unless, of course, the Church says Our Lady appeared there. Now extremely disgruntled, the priest said, our Blessed Mother wouldn't choose children as young as these. Surely she'd have shown herself to grown-up sensible people. What really annoys me is all these simpletons who prostrate themselves in prayer on a piece of waste land, while their living God, the God of all altars in the Blessed Sacrament, is left alone and abandoned in the tabernacle. Why do they leave money without any purpose under the home oak tree? I've had to stop repairs on my church because I've no money to pay for them. My blood boils at the thought. No, if there were any truth in the matter, the church would fare better. Maria Rosa's temper came to the surface. All these grumbles about your church, Senor Padre, what about me and my household? What good has it done us? None. Our work has come to a standstill. We're interrupted every day by callers. My house isn't my own anymore. They come and stare at us, peer through the windows, trample all over the place. And, of course, the endless questions. Look how often you send for my Lucia because some priest or other wants to see her. She spent more time in your presbytery than with our sheep. I told Padre Formigueo the same. We've had to follow the martyr's example and sell the flock. And don't forget that the land they prostrate themselves on is our land, and the crops that they've destroyed are our crops. At this point, Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta came in and a look of dismay momentarily crossed the elder girl's face on seeing the priest. She knew that this meant more questions. Nevertheless, she greeted him politely and answered as she felt able. The weeks passed by, and the children went about their business. They prayed the rosary, made sacrifices, 
and in the little cave at Cabecho they knelt with foreheads touching the ground, repeating the angel's prayer. Lucia was carrying out Our Lady's command, and attended school, as did Francisco, although he was to be found in church more often than in his class. When taken to task over this, he said, Oh, don't worry about that. It's not worth the bother learning to read if I'm going to heaven soon. I'd rather stay in church and keep our Lord company. One day a visitor to the village asked him, What do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be a carpenter? No, ma'am. How about a soldier? No. A doctor? Wouldn't you like to be a good doctor and make people better? No, I wouldn't. Ah, it's a priest then, isn't it? That's what you want to be. No, ma'am, I don't want to be a priest. I don't want to be anything. I just want to die and go to heaven. Towards the end of the year 1918, the influenza epidemic which swept through Europe struck down the whole of the Marto household, with the exception of Manuel Marto. Recovery for Francisco and Jacinta was slow, particularly as their little bodies were already weakened by regular acts of mortification. After a few weeks in bed, brother and sister were allowed up for a while each day, and although still far from well, they continued to make sacrifices. One day Lucia received an urgent message to go and see them at once. As soon as she arrived, Jacinta burst out, Our lady's been to see us. She's coming to fetch Francisco soon and take him to heaven. This news had made the boy very happy, which deceived his parents into believing that he was on the mend, and they even went so far as allowing him out for short walks. Except on one occasion, when he dragged himself painfully to the cova, his footsteps invariably led him to church where he sat before the tabernacle. After one such walk, his father remarked, Your eyes are bright, son. I can see you are improving all the time. We'll make a strong man out of you yet. Oh, no, Papa. Our Lady is coming for me soon. Fast on the tail of these words came a relapse. Bronchial pneumonia set in, and with a permanently high temperature, Francisco's condition deteriorated. The youngster's cheerful acceptance, however, fooled all but Lucia and Jacinta. Time was running out, and during the last few weeks, Lucia became her cousin's sole confidant. Oh, Lucia, he said one day, it hurts me so much that I can't go and sit in church with Jesus any more. Please always remember to go in my place. Lucia looked at him. She recalled, Do you remember when we were out in the pastures and you used to go away and hide behind some brambles? Oh, yes, I do, said the boy. I like to pray by myself, because then I could think about our Lord so sad because of all the sins. Which do you prefer, Francisco, to console Jesus or to convert sinners so that they won't go to hell? I'd rather console Jesus first. Lucia put her arm around his shoulders. Are you suffering a great deal? Yes, I am, but I suffer everything for our Lord and our Lady. Oh, Lucia, I do want to suffer more, but I feel very sick. Still, it won't be long before I'm in heaven. Then you make sure you pray hard for sinners, and the Holy Father, and Jacinta, and me, said Lucia. I think you'd better ask Jacinta. 
I'm sure to forget about it. I'll be too busy comforting Jesus and Mary. Francisco was right. He hadn't long to wait. And on April the 3rd, 1919, when he was not quite eleven years old, our Lord visited him when he made his first communion. The next morning they became inseparable forever. The death of Francisco caused Jacinta great distress, and at times she remained silent for long stretches. One day Lucia asked her why she was so quiet, and she replied, Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about two things, Francisco, and how much I'd like to see him again, and of that war which is coming. So many people are going to die and go to hell. What a shame! If only they would stop offending God, the war wouldn't come, and then they wouldn't go to hell. Look, Lucia, when you see that strange light in the sky, run to heaven. But you know I can't do that, Lucia answered. Our Lady said I've got to stay here. Oh, yes, so you have. Well, don't be afraid. I'll pray for you. Even though she missed her brother and was in agony with her illness, Jacinta continued to seek sacrifices. One time, when her mother brought in the customary cup of milk, the young invalid waved it away. I don't want it, Mamma. I don't know how to get her to take anything, said the frustrated woman. She has no appetite at all. Why do you disobey your mother? Lucia asked when the door closed after her. Why don't you drink it and offer it up as a sacrifice to our Lord? Tears glistened in Jacinta's eyes. Oh, Lucia, I didn't think of that. Mamma, Mamma, bring back the milk. I've changed my mind. And when Olympia did so, her daughter swallowed it unflinchingly. Later she told Lucia, If only you knew how hard it was to do that. It hurts more and more to drink milk and soup. I get so many pains in my chest. When Lucia called to see her another time, the little girl said, Our lady's been to see me, and she asked if I still want to convert more sinners, and I said yes. Then she told me that I'm going to two hospitals, but not to be cured, and that I would die in Lisbon. She said I'm not to be afraid, because she'll come and take me to heaven. Dear Lucia, if only you could come with me. It's hard going without you. A tumour formed on her left lung, promptly followed by purulent pleurisy, and she was eventually taken to hospital at Urum, where she stayed for two months. The treatment received was ineffectual. The tumour broke, and she returned home with a large open wound in her left side, which discharged continuously. This needed washing out daily with a rubber syringe, which her untrained mother attended to. Jacinta suffered this daily dressing without a murmur. Influenza, tuberculosis, pleurisy, all gradually sapped Jacinta's strength. By winter she was nothing but skin and bones, and it was suggested that one final attempt be made to cure her. She was taken to the Estefania Hospital in Lisbon and operated on by an eminent children's specialist. Jacinta knew it was all in vain, but she bore it in silence, and then... In the end, she died all alone, just as Our Lady had predicted.
1921, just over a year after Jacinta's death, Lucia left Aljustro to continue her schooling with the Sisters of St. Dorothy at Oporto. Four years later, with her education completed, she expressed the desire to become a nun, and so began her mission of staying on earth to spread devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In the convent at Pontevedra, Spain, she was privileged with another vision. Our Lady appeared, her heart encircled by thorns, the child Jesus at her side. She spoke, Look, my daughter, at my heart pierced by the thorns of blasphemy and ingratitude. You at least console me. Make known to the world that I promise to assist at the hour of death with all the graces necessary for salvation those who on the first Saturdays of five consecutive months confess, receive Holy Communion, and say the Rosary, meditating for fifteen minutes on the mysteries with the intention of offering me reparation. With the propagation of the devotion underway, Our Lady appeared to Sister Lucia again in 1929. The moment has arrived. God wants the Holy Father and all the bishops of the world to consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart. He promises its conversion through this means. The consecration has never been effected, but a modified version was carried out by Pope Pius XII on October the 31st, 1942, when, on his own, he consecrated the world to Mary's Immaculate Heart with a special mention of Russia. Although our Lord did accept this to end World War II, it is not, according to Sister Lucia, as he wanted it. The bishops must join the Holy Father in making the consecration, though it is not necessary for them to be physically present in the same place with him. Why the delay, one might ask? Sister Lucia says it is part of a divine plan. When she asked our Lord why he would not convert Russia anyway, he told her, Because I want the whole church to acknowledge the consecration as a triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, so that it may extend its cult and put devotion to this heart beside devotion to my Sacred Heart. It would seem, though, that it is not the popes who have failed Our Lady. Each succeeding one has endorsed the message. Our own Pope Paul VI, on May the 13th, 1967, took the unprecedented step of going to Fatima, where he participated in the Golden Jubilee Year celebrations. He said at the time, I have come, like any other humble pilgrim, to pray for peace in the world, for communist countries and those who do not have freedom. He asked his listeners to heed Mary's warnings, to turn to God, renew and amend their lives as evil proliferates in the world because her requests are neglected. His Holiness finished by vowing publicly to pray the Rosary every day for peace and to do penance for sinners. And this is exactly what the Angel of Portugal told Lucia, Francisco and Jacinta to do offer up prayer and sacrifices continually to the Almighty, he had said. How are we to do this? the children had asked. 
in every way you can as an act of reparation for the sins by which the Almighty is offended and for the conversion of sinners. And this they proceeded to do. The parties, festers, dancing and rough-and-tumble games that they used to enjoy so much all seemed meaningless and empty. They were swept off their feet by love, and it bore them along relentlessly. Mary started them on the road when she got them to think of others, for the prayers and penances she asked for were not for themselves, and quite suddenly the whole world became their concern. Fatima is, after all, a love story, and the lives of the children of Fatima show us how valuable each moment of the day is, how prayers, works, sufferings, and joys, in fact, every moment of life can be offered up to God to help save the world. As one apostle of Fatima says, we must say our morning offering. By our offering of reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, by that small but powerful prayer, every act we do becomes a sacrifice, because the word sacrifice means to make holy. Every act is a sacrifice because we have made it so by our morning offering. Every cup of coffee, tearing out our hair at the kids, doing a job well, the aggravations and irritations, in fact, all that we do gives the graces for the conversion of sinners. If we don't make the morning offering, then we've wasted the whole day as far as grace is concerned. We must bless ourselves, love Our Lady, say the rosary daily, become daily communicants, visit Our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, make time to get away quietly on our own, even if it's only for five minutes so as to clear our minds. But above all, we must stop offending God and amend our ways. Though Our Lady has visited many places over the years bringing the same message, Fatima is different. There's an urgency and seriousness about it to be found nowhere else. The hauntingly sad and grave face of the statue depicting Our Lady of Fatima gazes down on pilgrims who, on the twelfth of the month, in readiness for the thirteenth, pour into the Cova da Iria. The majority are Portuguese, and they come on a journey which has taken anything up to a week. Stocky, hard-working peasants, footsore, travel-stained and weary. The men carry staffs in their hands and lead the way. Behind them come the women and children. The women mostly wear black clothing and carry on top of their heads an assortment of odd-shaped bundles which consist of blankets, cooking utensils, food, in fact, everything necessary for a journey. Almost all of the people are barefooted and they all carry rosary beads and softly say the prayers as they go along. By mid-afternoon, all roads to Fatima are overflowing with pilgrims making for the Cova da Iria. And once they've paid their respects to Our Lady and the Capolina, as the Chapel of the Apparitions is affectionately called, they prepare for the all-night vigil. Beneath the trees surrounding the vast esplanade, 
they spread blankets. Some people sit and eat a frugal meal, while others snatch an hour's sleep, but most waste no time and push themselves to the limit. They go to confession, attend mass, say the rosary, and make the rugged stations of the cross. And they do penance. Down on their knees along the hard, gravel-covered ground, they travel three-quarters of a mile from one end of the cover to the capolina, and even though backs are breaking and knees and toes grazed and bleeding, they keep on going. Very old people, too, are unwilling to give up, and they're helped towards their goal by their younger counterparts. This particular penitential act dates back to Lucia, who, when her mother was cured of an illness, kept her promise to Our Lady and walked across the cover on her knees. Pilgrims carry out the act all day and throughout the evening until 11 p.m., when 30,000 or more people light candles and the torchlight procession begins. The beautiful basilica is illuminated and voices ring out with a Fatima Ave Maria as the crown statue of Our Lady is taken from the Capolina. Placed on a golden bier banked with pink and white carnations, it is carried shoulder high in procession round the cover. The people follow behind. The procession ends when Our Lady's statue is taken back to the Capolina and placed on the site of the home oak tree. Pilgrims then assemble before the large exterior altar for midnight mass and exposition through till dawn. Then the various penitential exercises begin again. At 11 a.m. the atmosphere changes. Excitement fills the air. Our Lady is on the move again. Tiny tots, dressed up as angels and miniature Our Ladies, spread flower petals in her path until she comes to a rest on the left-hand side of the altar facing the people, where she remains for solemn high mass. All too soon it is over. A passage is forged through the crowds, and Our Lady is on her way back to the Capolina. Handkerchiefs form a sea of white, and pilgrims, men, women, and children, with tears streaming down their faces, wave farewell. Sadly, they sing the adieus. Dear Lady of the Rosary, our pilgrimage is almost at an end. With memories in our hearts, we leave you. With memories in our hearts, with memories and longings and gratitude and gladness and endings in sadness, because we must part. With Our Lady's statue back in its place until the following month, pilgrims depart in as quiet and orderly a fashion as they arrive. Yet even though the cover is almost deserted, its very bareness only accentuates a presence, and there is no mistaking that she is there. And one is reminded that it was here that one of the most prodigious miracles in history took place. For Mary came to Fatima as a powerful queen, compelling the attention of her children. And in turning to her, what she said to Lucia applies to us all. I will never forsake you. My immaculate heart will be your refuge and the road 
that will lead you to God.